Rise, shine, you people. Christ the Lord has entered our human story. God in him is centered. He comes to us by death surrounded with grace unbounded. Our text for our sermon is Joshua chapter 24, verse 1 through the first half of verse 2, and then 14 through 18. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, and he summoned the elders of Israel, its heads, its judges, and its officers, and they presented themselves before God. Then Joshua told all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, has said. Joshua said, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly and faithfully. Remove the gods that your fathers served in the region across the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if you see no benefit in serving the Lord, then choose for yourselves today whomever you will serve, whether the gods that your fathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The people responded by saying, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord in order to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he is the one who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, where we were slaves. He is the one who performed these great signs right before our eyes and protected us in the whole journey that we made and among all the peoples through whom we passed. The Lord drove out of our presence all the peoples and the Amorites who were living in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. This is the word of our Lord. Jesus had fed the 5,000 men. Remember, they counted the men. And then the next day, they crossed, they crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They wanted to force him to be their bread king and force him to give them miracle bread every day that they wouldn't have to work for. Jesus uses that to talk about the heavenly nourishment they need of feeding the new man that is connected to Christ. And, and that new person we call faith. But when it's all said and done and he explains to them that the, bread, the true bread is he who came down from heaven and took on human flesh. And unless you eat that flesh and drink that blood, then you don't have life in you, that eternal life. And in our gospel lesson for this Sunday, we're told in John chapter 6, verse 60, when they heard it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can listen to it? Sadly, they walked away. They quit following him. There was a mass exodus because understanding that Christ does all the work for our salvation, that was too much. We're out of here. We'd rather just have a God who takes care of our earthly needs. But in verse 67 of today's gospel lesson, we're told, so Jesus asked the 12, you do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And once again, the Apostle Peter gives us a beautiful confession that shows true fear, reverent awe for God, and true service to God. Now, as we talk about service and salvation, this group had a problem. They were focused primarily on their earthly needs. They put the cart before the horse. And as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be given to you as well. 
They were just mixing up the order. And how often is it that people want to follow God as if he's a genie in a bottling pot? Like, here's my demand. Boom, now I'm done with you. Go away. And even more so when it comes to salvation. Scripture is very simple and very clear. God took on human flesh and did all the work to save you. But how many people want to add that little conjunction and? And then you do this or that or this, this and that. It's simple. But our sinful nature won't accept it. And so it will make complications out of it and finally say, this is a hard teaching. I'm done. I'm walking away. La, la, la. I'm done listening to you. In our text, in in, uh, Joshua chapter 21, verse 14, Joshua said, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly and faithfully. That word that Joshua uses for serve is the primary Old Testament or Hebrew word for worshiping God. When we worship God, we are actually serving him. And in fact, when he says wholeheartedly and faithfully, that Hebrew word that we translate as wholeheartedly is without blemish. Whoa, whoa. even the great apostle Peter, who many times had role model confessions of faith, didn't serve him without blemish, did he? Wholeheartedly, sometimes we don't. Many times we fail. And that word faithfully, that means in truth, clinging only to the truth of the word of God. That means having to stick your fingers in the world, to the, to the, in your ears, to the world's lies and go, la, 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 I'm not listening. This is a pretty undaunting task, although it's simple, plainly taught in scripture. So today we'll ask that question, how do we serve the Lord without blemish? We have to understand that The original generation that God led out of Egypt that had cried out to him for help because they'd been enslaved, they refused to trust in God. And God finally said, enough. No one of this generation but Joshua and Caleb, who remain faithful to the Lord, will enter the promised land. So it's their children that end up doing the conquest of the promised land. And they're actually not done. The bulk of the promised land has been conquered, but it will not reach its zenith until the time of David and his son Solomon. That the bulk of the work is done, and so Joshua, in almost a farewell discourse, calls the tribes together and gives them this this talk. And we're told, now Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. Then he summoned the elders of Israel, its heads, its judges, and its officials. And so they presented themselves in the presence of God. Then Joshua said to all the people, the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken the following words. Your forefathers of ancient times lived on the other side of the river. That would be the Euphrates. And then he explains who those forefathers are. Namely, Terah, who was the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor. Now, they served other gods. Whoa, hit the brakes. They served other gods. Abraham is called the father of all believers. But before God calls him to go to the promised land, to leave all those false gods, Abraham worshipped false gods. Now, as an interesting note, one of the survivors of the ark who lives for hundreds of years, Shem, is still alive. And Abraham is a descendant of Shem. If you want to know about the true God, all you have to do is go find Shem and ask him. And yet the people have so quickly turned away from God and we find out even Abraham has in his life false idols. 
Serving the Lord is not as easy as we think because unless God calls us, we will serve false idols. And if you don't believe me, look at Christendom. How often is it that Christians think that their dead grandmother, grandfather, Uncle Joe is looking out for them and riding in the car with them? They've turned them into an idol. They've turned them into God. How often do Christians think that God doesn't listen to them so much and so they need an intercessor. And so they turn faithful Christians who are role model examples who have passed away and gone to heaven. They turn them into saints that they pray to. Wait a minute. You start praying to somebody else. The Bible says Jesus is our intercessor. You've just turned that person into a false god. How often is it that Christians just cannot simply believe that God took on human flesh and was sinless. And so they have to take the womb. The womb of Mary, they have to take the vessel that his body was knit in. The vessel who even sang out rejoicing that she had a savior, which is a confession of sin. And they've got to make her co-redemptress and make her immaculately conceived in things. They've just elevated Mary to godhood. Though why am I going through all of this? Many Christians today don't realize how quickly they have turned other things into gods. And if we look, how often is it that Christians fall into, for example, uh, the New Age movement with the law of attraction, where it's like that you become this spiritual magnet if you follow the right principles, not God, but you yourself will draw the things you need into life. Or how often do Christians believe in luck? Oh, as long as I've got this, then God is God, but I'll be extra lucky with this. Again, we have a natural tendency to turn to something else as our false God. And if you think the generation that had cried out to God because they had been enslaved and then they got to see those plagues, if you think they were any better, listen to verse 14. So now hold the Lord in reverent awe and serve him without blemish and in truth and get rid of the gods which your forefathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Every plague that God struck the Egyptians with was a demonstration that more than one of their gods, so more than one of their gods, was weak and powerless against the true God. Every plague struck against two or more of the false gods. It wasn't just for the Egyptians. God was showing his people, stop worshiping these false gods. Just a little easy say, yeah, I trust in the Lord and I've been praying to him, but he's not delivering me as quickly as we want. So we'll reach over here and grab this one little thing and let it be a false god. In fact, when they get out into the desert, God who had parted the Red Sea for them. They didn't believe that he could possibly provide them with water and meat. And they cried out, oh, if only we were back in Egypt where we sat around pots of meat. Boy, that's quite a change from crying out to the Lord saying, we're being oppressed and we can't live with this. Martin Luther, in his explanation to the first commandment in his large catechism, basically states that whatever you look to as the source of your good, that is God in your heart. So whatever we think take cares of our, takes care of our needs, we've just let that become our God if it's not trusting in the Lord. Think about how wonderful it is to have parents who serve the Lord. Think about how bad it can be. This generation's parents, even some of them had reached out to Egyptian false gods and mixed them in. The influence that has on the next generation, unless 
God steps in with the miracle of his word and changes it. So I'm pounding home as I ask the question, how do we serve the Lord without blemish? Left to ourselves, without God intervening with the miracle, we will serve other gods. Left to ourselves, without clinging to his word and its truth in purity, which is a miracle of God, we will let other things become our God. Joshua continues in verse 15, but if serving the Lord is bad in your eyes, then choose for yourselves today who are you going to serve, whether it be the gods that your forefathers served, which were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, whose land you yourselves are living in. As for me and my house, we will keep on serving the Lord. Some of the gods of the Amorites were, for example, Baal, and we find out they, the generations later will eventually worship Baal. How sad. But it's very interesting when he says, choose for yourselves today, who are you going to serve? He's talking to believers. They've already conquered the promised land. They know God exists. So this is not telling Christians or people who are not Christians to choose to serve God, choose themselves into faith. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying, as Jesus says in other places, you cannot serve both money and God. You can't serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. So pick which one you are going to stick with either the real God or the false gods that will lead you to hell. It's interesting how he says that, though. If serving the Lord is bad in your eyes, talking to believers who saw the walls of Jericho come crumbling down, do you think serving the Lord is bad? But you know, there are many ways in which even Christians who are brought up in Christian homes think serving the Lord is bad. A major problem we've been having since Generation X in the Christian church is this. God wants to bless marriage and he wants to bless sexual intimacy. Promises to do so within the confines of marriage. But serving the Lord seems bad to many Christians and they choose to shack up with somebody rather than marry them. And then they even get mad at brothers and sisters in Christ who say this is against the word of the Lord. The Lord is not going to bless this. Whenever God tells us, here's what I consider good, and we say, no, Lord, you're dumb. You don't know. I know better than you. Guess who we're serving? It's ourselves. It's not the Lord. And look at worship today. Now, I'm going to tell you, I know, if a pastor drones on, very monotone, has a sermon that doesn't apply to the people, they're going to turn their ears right off. And we can sing hymns that are hard, and sometimes we can sing hymns that people might love, but all they're saying is, Lord, I love you a thousand times over. People can get bored. But too often today, churches are giving itching ears what they want to hear. They throw the word of God out and they go for entertainment. And people run out for that entertainment because otherwise they say, worship is boring. I don't want to hear about forgiveness of sins and God taking on human flesh. Guess what God is being served there? It's entertainment. It's themselves. Yes, still today, left to our own devices, we will think that serving the Lord is bad, even though God is the source of all good things. And sadly, oftentimes the biggest excuse for people who knew God and are staying away from worship Sunday after Sunday is, I'm too busy. I'm too busy four-wheeling. I'm too busy playing video games. I'm too busy working to make money. Never mind the fact that if several people, if our worship service time doesn't work together, God's word didn't say you have to meet Sundays at this time. We can have an alternate service or we can change the time and the day of the service. Oh no, I'm too busy. Guess who they have made God. If, they, if, if the reason for staying away from church is I'm too busy, 
then you're saying serving the Lord is bad because we serve the Lord by hearing his word where he continues to strengthen that faith. We're nourished by the bread of life so that our new man continues clinging to God. Left to ourselves, we're in trouble. So to answer our question, how do we serve the Lord without blemish? We find those wonderful words of Joshua. As for me and my house, we will keep on serving the Lord. I want to point out to you, Joshua says this with backbone. Joshua was known for having faithful backbone. And in those days, when your sons got married, their wives moved not under your roof. You attached a new addition to the house and there was a central rotunda that everybody shared. God chose fatherhood, although it's blemished by sin, as the way to represent himself, God the Father. Now, I'm certainly grateful for Christian mothers. And, and Christian mothers, I, I want to encourage you to keep serving the Lord. But how often is it that men think that teaching Sunday school is women's work? Bringing the children to worship is women's work. They are the first and foremost representative of God in the family. They're the father. God meant for them to be there. And it's interesting. Studies have shown now it's the word of God that nourishes our new man. But they have shown left to ourselves. If the father doesn't come to church, even though mom is faithful, if you're going to bet, you should bet the kids aren't going to be seen in church. If the father comes a handful of times a year, you know, Christmas, Easter, you can bet the children will at least be seen at Christmas and Easter. And if the father is seen regularly, you can bank on the fact that you might have to come and encourage those children every now and then, but you will regularly see them in worship. This isn't women's work. And too often, people forget that. Now, certainly again, Christian mothers, I want you to understand, you keep doing what you're doing in your service of the Lord, bringing up the family and showing his love. I'm telling men, this is man's work. You need to be taking responsibility for this. And Joshua makes a resolution. My family, Joshua's old, his kids are adults. My family will serve the Lord. I've often seen people who, well, my children chose to embrace this sin. And when the church tried to do biblical discipline, they ran off to a church that didn't care. And now I have to pick my children. I have to go where they're worshiping. Or my children chose the, the entertainment over the truth of the word of God. And now I've got to go where my children are at. No, you're letting your children lead you astray. Joshua says, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. But why? Because the Lord has served you. The Lord took on human flesh so that he could be tempted in every way, yet never fall. He could suffer in every way, yet never grumble and be our substitute. He took on human flesh so that he could be so that he could die in our place and his blood would cover over our sins. The Holy Spirit entered your heart through the word of God. And this is all according to God, the father's plan. So how do the people react being told, choose this day? Don't, don't try to mix this stuff together. Stay true to the word of God, which is serving him, or serve your false gods. You can't do both. Then the people answered by saying, 
Far be it for us to forsake the Lord in order to serve other gods, because the Lord is our God. He is the one who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, namely from the house of slavery, who worked these great signs before our eyes. And so he has preserved us in all the way which we have walked on and from all the people who we have passed right through the middle of. And the Lord caused the events of driving away from us from before us all the people and the Amorites who were living in the land. We on our part will also keep on serving the Lord because he is our God. I've often had people tell me I cannot join a church that clings to the true word because grandma or grandpa would be so disgusted because they're devout, join this church, that they're devoutly clinging to this church that I can see doesn't cling to the word of God and its truth and purity. This generation's parents were not allowed to enter the promised land. They did not have the trust in God that it would require. But they could look back and see with their own eyes. We see God working for us. You can see that God has done all the work of salvation for you. But what about this generation? Did they perfectly blindly trust in the Lord as they entered the promised land? No. The wonderful story where Balaam is hired by the king of Moab to curse the Israelites and God wouldn't let him. Well, Balaam then turns around because he wants to keep the money and he tells the king of the Moabites, Use your women to seduce their men, draw them away. And it was working. God had to come and discipline them. And he had to come with forgiveness. There were times like the city of Ai where he said, everything goes to God. What well, one of them had to hoard it up. Oh, this is for me. God had to discipline them, but he forgave them. How do you serve the Lord? Live in the forgiveness that is daily fully and richly given to you by the blood of Christ. Live daily clinging to his word and its truth and purity because it's through that union of Christ that you get that forgiveness and that word nourishes your new person that is united to Christ. The law with its 10 demands that used to say you're unholy, you're unholy and it used to condemn you. It still shows you your sin, but now we say, Lord, you have done everything for me. How can I thank you? And the law says... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have a new person that's connected to, that is in you, and is connected to Christ. And every day we wrestle with our sinful nature, our old man. But you know what? When we wrestle, we are serving the Lord. And when we serve our neighbors, showing them God's love, we're serving the Lord. And we have to wrestle with our selfish, sinful nature to do that. We're glorifying God when we do that, even if the world can't see it. And when the sinful nature gets its sucker punches in and we fall into sin, we serve the Lord by trusting his word that he has forgiven us, that Jesus did all the work. Not we have to do this, this and this, and then we'll be forgiven. So how do we serve the Lord without blemish? It's really neat that you can meditate on your life as you get older and those things when you were suffering and things were miserable. Years later, you can look back and say, oh, this is how God was working for me, just as this generation did. Now, we've seen God delivering us too much. We're going to stick with the winning deal. We're going to stick with everlasting life. So trust in Christ who became man for you and, and did all the work for your salvation, won forgiveness for you, who sent the Holy Spirit, who gave birth to your new person. And all of this is the plan of the Father, so that you have that new person that is engrafted to Christ and lives forever. So serve the Lord by wrestling with that sinful nature, trusting in God for forgiveness, and feeding that new man by coming to the word of God in its truth and purity. Amen. Let us conclude with prayer. 
Lord God, support us all the years of our lives that we may follow your gracious will, both in good times and bad, that our lives may be an unending testimony to your love and faithfulness through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.